are listening to the Elephant in the Room podcast with your host, Sutta Singh. Each week, we will bring you a diverse range of inspiring speakers on issues of inequality and inequity. You will hear stories about fairness, justice, belonging, and about best practice for creating a more inclusive workplace. So, if you are an individual or leader interested in a fairer, equitable, compassionate society and workplace, this podcast is for you. My guest on the Elephant in the Room podcast this week is Leela Stake, Global Lead at Fleischmann Hillard's award-winning client DE&I practice True Mosaic. She also heads the firm's pro bono and volunteer work. Outside of work, Leela is vice chair of the board of Stanford's Haas Center for Public Service. Good morning, Leela. Wonderful to have you as a guest on the Elephant in the Room podcast today. Oh, it's so nice to be with you, Sita. Thanks so much for having me. Give us a quick introduction to who you are and some of the influences that have defined who you are today. Oh, there's so many. Well, I am currently a global lead for FH for Inclusion at Fleischmann Hillard and co-lead of True Mosaic, which is our global diversity, equity, and inclusion practice. I'm also a multiracial woman. I am a parent of two amazing teenagers who are 13 and 15 years old and happily married to the love of my life. So those are a few of the influences in my life. As I think about influences, I really have to look into my past. Both of my parents, I'm a minister's daughter, a Unitarian minister's daughter. So my dad grew up in a small town in Kansas. My mother was an immigrant to the United States from India, and I had an amazing older brother growing up. So in our family of four, all three of those people influenced me very profoundly. What a beautiful introduction. So you mentioned your multiracial, your mother. How important is your identity to you and what does it mean to you? Yeah, it's incredibly important to me. I think that sometimes you can't know where you're going in the world until you know very deeply where you've come from. So it's something that I think about a lot in terms of my identity. I think it was maybe more common now to be multiracial, but growing up, maybe it was less common. And I think that there are both superpowers that come from it and also challenges. In one way, I feel like I could go to almost anywhere in the world and feel like I fit in. I have kind of olive tan skin. And so there's many places I would go and people would wonder if I was from that place. And there's something really beautiful and amazing about that. On the other hand, I think that it can be really challenging because in some ways you feel like you don't completely fit in anywhere. People will sort of say, oh, you're exotic or, oh, isn't that unusual? And I would love the time that I spent in India, but I also didn't speak the language. I studied Indian classical dance and felt very connected to my family there, but it was a little bit different for me in terms of the way that I grew up. And similarly, at those times in the United States, there weren't a lot of people who looked like me. And in some ways that can be good, I think, maybe because you're seen as unique. And in other ways, I think you have to kind of even more than some other people pave your own path. That is so true. You do have to pave your own path. And like you said, some ways it can be good, but in some ways, I think there are challenges. So you have a very positive take in how you have articulated your entire experience. You mentioned you're a senior partner at Global Lead. FH for Inclusion and uh, co-lead True Mosaic. What does your role entail? Yes, I mean, I get to have the amazing privilege and opportunity to really help 
achieve our ambition to become the most inclusive global communications agency in the world. That was an ambition that our CEO, John Saunders, set out about five years ago. So before people were talking as much as they are now about diversity, equity, and inclusion. And I get to wear a couple of different hats. So my role in FH for inclusion is really leading a lot of our pro bono and volunteer efforts around the world. For our 70th anniversary, we launched a desire to unite all of our global offices in celebration of the 70th anniversary by joining together in volunteer and pro bono service to help nonprofit organizations around the world. And to date, we've worked with more than 130 organizations, more than 35,000 hours of volunteer and pro bono service. So that's been really an incredible, incredible track record. And it keeps on going, which has been great. And as co-lead of True Mosaic, our global diversity, equity, and inclusion practice, we're really working on how do we bring diversity, equity, and inclusion to the center of our client work? That's the work that drives us each and every day. And so really, I mean, our ambition is quite great. We hope to bring DE&I as a core service to all of the clients that we work with ultimately. And we're making really great inroads to doing that. We've worked with more than 100 clients to date, and we've built a team of more than 160 counselors around the world. And I would say the one thing that's also kind of thing about True Mosaic is we're really talking about how do we bring people together who have not only different kinds of professional expertise, but that we're really a true reflection of the society that we live in. And we think about all of the different facets of diversity, equity, and inclusion. So that might be culture, race, and ethnicity, but it might also be gender identity, sexual orientation, people with disabilities of different kinds, people who have had different different backgrounds and different experiences. And we really feel like that enriches the work that we do. Wow, that sounds amazing. I'm particularly inspired to hear that your volunteers have done so much of work with charities, 35,000 hours, you said. You've previously worked in sustainability and corporate responsibility. Do you see an intersection with the work you currently do? And has that been an advantage for you that you have a bigger picture? Because I strongly believe that sustainability cannot be done if you do not take into account equity and inclusion. Yes, thank you so much for asking that question so that I couldn't agree more. And I think that it is really important to bring these pieces of experience together. And I think, unfortunately, I've even heard some trends the opposite direction. I think now in times of economic uncertainty, like there's been more talk about these worlds maybe being pitted against each other or competition for resources. And I think you're absolutely right. If we're doing this right, we're working together. And really, these things are inextricably linked as we move forward. We can't think about climate solutions without thinking about the communities that are disproportionately affected by the climate crisis that we're in. And we have to think about solutions that truly work for everybody. And I think that there's so many ways in which diversity, equity, and inclusion and environmental sustainability go hand in hand. And I have really found it to be a great asset in my work that I have worked in both of these spaces and will continue to do so. So what can organizations do to create equity-inspired designs to be inclusive? Do you have some advice to share from your experience now and before? Yeah, I think maybe the one way I'd like to answer this question is with just a concrete example, because I think it's really easy to get stuck in sort of generalities about 
what are these different types of terms and how do we define them? And that's really important. But then I think we have to get down to what does that actually mean when the rubber hits the road? So I'll give an example at our own organization or in our own industry. So the communications industry and agency world has, like many industries, historically not been very diverse. So if we're talking about advancing diversity, equity, and inclusion, there are a few things we need to do from a talent perspective. We need to start building the talent pipeline, starting with people who are beginning their careers, and that's really important. So we have an amazing fellowship program that helps to do just that for people who are early in career. If we just wait for people who are early in their career to rise up the ranks, we could be waiting even if people progress fairly fast, it's still a number of years down the road before those people become senior leaders. So we need to be thinking really proactively about how do we also bring people into our industry who are from other fields and how does that enrich the work that we do? And whether those people are former journalists, whether they worked in-house or in government or with NGOs of different kinds. And then if we're bringing those people in, we have to recognize They are coming in with a wealth of experience. They have many gifts, but they haven't been working for the past two decades in the agency world like I have. And so equity is really about how do we recognize that some people may need additional support and deserve additional support to have a level playing field and to kind of create the world that we want to live in, the kind of profession that we want to live in. And so that's something we've been thinking a lot about is how do we make sure we create really successful on-ramps, equitable on-ramps for people who didn't maybe have the same opportunities to thrive and become leaders in our industry. And so I just think when we're talking about these different terms, it's helpful to really get into the programs and what are we actually trying to accomplish? And that's just one example. Yeah, I mean, because if you speak about DEI, it's not as if it's a recent thing. It's been around for ages, but we haven't seen much progress. So it's good to move beyond the words to hear about what are the specific actions that either organizations are taking or can take. I really like the thing that about the additional support, if you've gotten a lateral hire and you've gotten people from outside the industry, you need to create that environment where they can succeed and not wait for them yeah. to fail. probably. Yeah. So as a female leader, I, I think I'm very interested in this. How has your journey to leadership been? Was it tough or tougher because of who you are or how you look? Yes. And I think the journey continues, right? I mean, I hope that I'm at a point that I'm not even halfway through my career at this point. And so it's something that I have thought about most days of my career and will continue to think about as well. Yes, I do think that in some ways it has been more difficult. And I think that there are probably a few examples of that. I think really early in my career, I started working abroad in a number of different countries. And I remember I would sometimes go to meetings where I was the only woman in the room or one of just a few women in the room. And that can be really challenging. (laughs) And I think that you have to be kind of brave in a way and not be scared off by that and sometimes maybe work harder than others to kind of maybe get to the same place. I think that there's still a tremendous amount of sort of mommy tracking that 
can happen. And sometimes I think people feel like they're doing that as a courtesy to you. Like, oh, I didn't even think about you for that job because I just assumed that you wouldn't want it. I remember that from some of the early years of having children. And I think people didn't mean to do it maliciously. But I remember in one case, I really wanted to put myself forward for a position because someone above me was leading the organization. And I thought to myself, this is really inopportune timing. I have two young kids at the time. And so it wasn't really ideal to be taking on a much more significant role. But I also thought to myself, it's either now or I might have to wait several years for another opportunity like this. And I remember very vividly making that call and sort of getting the response, oh, like, I really think you could do this job. I just hadn't thought about you for it. And I ended up taking that position and ended up being a huge leap forward for me in my career. And it was an ideal timing, but it worked out great. And it wasn't that others were closed off to the idea. It was just that I needed to advocate for myself to put my name in the running. I also think often what happens is it's not that people are malicious, but it is just that they don't think. But the amount of damage that people do by not thinking or not keeping their minds open is like huge. And segueing from what you've just said that you spoke for yourself. So generally women along with minority groups have a tougher time being heard in organizations, navigating power structures, or progressing within an organization. Is it still true today? And what would your advice be to them? Because yeah, I mean, we don't want to keep talking about this is true. And this is it. We want to be able to share some experience and advice so that people can take action. Absolutely. Yes. I mean, I think that there's probably a few things to this. One is just to make sure that we are holding leaders accountable. I think the interesting thing about where we've been over the past few years, you're right, diversity, equity, and inclusion is nothing new. However, it has reached a fever pitch and gained a lot more momentum in the past few years. And there's been a lot of talk as we kind of were in the depths of 2020 and coming out of it. This is a movement, not a moment. But now it's sort of like where we really get to take people to task if they're not living into that. So to me, this is a key year as we are in 2023 and we think about some of the headwinds or economic uncertainties that we may be facing. This is a time to really hold leaders accountable for what they said that they would do and make sure that we're not either stalling progress or moving backwards. So I do think that this is a really, really critical period. And I think the other thing I would just say practically is we have to make sure we stay really united and lock arms with the people that we're working with. And so it's just tremendously important that women leaders support other women leaders, that people from under-resourced communities support each other and lift each other up. So that continues to be, I think, just so important to me personally and so important to moving this work forward. That's true. According to you, Leela, what are the key traits of a good leader? And do you believe that good women leaders are different to good men leaders? Mm, I think it's hard to generalize. I do think that there's a lot of studies that show that women tend to be more empathetic leaders. So I don't think that that's true of every individual. But I think on the whole, that probably is true. I think 
being an active learner is really important. And also being able to admit sometimes when you're wrong is a really important trait. I think that it's important to lead with confidence, but it's also important to be a really active learner every day. I feel like I make mistakes and need to learn and improve from them. So I find that to be an incredibly important trait. And I also think being a really active listener, really being able to hear people and the conversations that I have, I get to manage many wonderful people and really making sure before I jump to a conclusion or a solution, reminding myself to take a moment to really be a good listener is so important. Yeah, I think somewhere we do tend to generalize about what women leadership looks like or what good leaders look like. But generally also, I think leaders are not expected to fail. And I think that is hardwired into their muscle memory, so to speak. And we have to have more of them saying we are trying to be better and do better. But there will be moments of failure because, yeah, you cannot progress without failure, right? Yes, I think that's really well said. And there's a reason why we generalize as well, because we have to follow the data points and really see where the trend lines are moving. I remember that was one of the things that was really striking to me when I was at college at Stanford. I took a women's leadership course when I was doing my graduate work, and it was mostly with um, women from the business school. And the statistics were really staggering. If you looked at all of the graduates of the business school there and just compared it by sort of gender identity, you really found that most women dropped out of the workforce, even like extremely well-educated women once they became parents. And you don't want to generalize because each person is different and people's leadership styles are different, but there is something to be said for. We have to see what the research shows too, because it may reveal some trend lines that we need to take a really hard look at. But also, I'm sorry, I'm deviating a bit. So you said like, you've seen that Even in the U.S., while you were graduating, you've noticed that women tend to drop off. And even in the U.K. or in a place like India, where I was born, women tend to just drop off after a certain point. And could this be because workplaces were designed for men and not designed to be thinking about women? And so we don't have the structures or the support systems that would enable women to work. And thrive because unless you have good childcare or you can afford childcare or you're confident that the childcare is good, you're not going to be able to do work. Yeah, I think about this all the time. I mean, I had two amazing Indian women influences in my life, more than two, but two come to mind, I guess, for this interview. My mother was, as I mentioned, an immigrant to the U.S. from India. She was an economist, extremely smart, amazing woman. She passed away eight years ago. I miss her every day. But she decided that she didn't feel like she could continue her career and raise her children once we were born. And so she stayed at home and was an incredibly engaged, amazing mother. I always think about it. I wish she was still here to call and ask her for advice, especially now if I'm parenting two teenagers. And then I had my nanny, my maternal grandmother was an amazing woman in so many ways. She was on the Mumbai City Council. She lost her husband tragically in a car accident when my mom was six years old. So she had three children and really paved her own 
path, which was really ahead of her time and quite extraordinary. I think about both of them a lot because I don't really want to make a trade-off between being the kind of mother that I want to be and being the kind of professional that I want to be. And I have these two amazing influences of women from my past, but I don't think we talk about this enough. It is not easy. It's really not easy to try to do it all. And I'm most of the way through having my children at home. And so I've been able to figure it out. But I think the adage, the days are long, but the years are short is really true. There are days that feel really challenging. And so when some people say it goes by so quickly, I remember thinking, wait, this doesn't feel fast. What about when you're sleep deprived? And what about when you're just like, oh, is it worth it? Can I do it? But on the other hand, here I am. And now the kids are so much older. And so the years have felt short and fast in that way. So I think it's just a way of saying to your question, I don't think the structures have been kind of built for people raising children. And I think it continues to be a struggle. And I think we're starting to do a better job. But I think that we have to keep working on it. I had the real pleasure of working with Sheryl Sandberg on the launch of Lean In. And it's interesting because that's in our common vernacular now to talk about kind of leaning into opportunities. But that's something that has been talked about more over the course of my career. And I think that's a good thing. And I think we have to continue to think about how we put the right structures in place to support people to get through the years of the parenting years of their lives, women and men, for sure. And because it's just true. Like I know five years from now, my kids will likely be out of the house and in college and I will have more time on my hands than I do now. And right now it's a matter of packing a lot of it in. So we need to continue to support each other to get through these years with gusto. Absolutely. It's so inspiring to hear. And you mentioned two amazing women who inspired you, your mom and your nanny or your granny. So the next question was about that. Do you have any role models growing up? And are there any women who look like you? Yes. I mean, certainly both of them were so amazing. Some of my favorite memories from my childhood were visiting my nani and other relatives in India. And when everyone else was asleep, she would always be the first one awake in the morning to do her morning puja, to have her chai. And she had this lovely place where you could really feel the air come off of the Arabian Sea into her flat. and. I just remember sitting with her. I would get up at the crack of dawn before anyone else was up just to sit with her. And she was so loving, so supportive. And again, a woman ahead of her time in so many ways, tremendously great inspiration to me. And just to say a little bit more about my own mother too. I mean, again, I cannot say enough amazing things about how she parented, I feel like she'd just like look at me and I would know what I was supposed to do. And it was like without words even. Um, And I was like, I don't know how she had that amazing superpower, but just an incredibly supportive, devoted parent. And so yeah, both of them stand out for me. And my older brother, he was six years older, Rahul was an incredibly important influence to me as well. And I think having the men in your life too, that make you feel like you could do anything. I remember 
when I was in high school, he got me this book called Women by the amazing photographer Annie Leibowitz. And so it's oh, just, wow. I recommend it to anyone. It's a beautiful like coffee table photo book that has all these amazing images of incredible women around the world. And I remember he wrote this inscription on the inside page that said, here are all these women that are athletes and professionals and all of these things. And he's like, you could be any one of these or probably many of these things. And I think in those years of your life, when you're really trying to find your confidence, I mean, in some ways, I still am, but especially in those kind of years of adolescence, where you need some people who are really rooting for you. He was such an amazing advocate for me. And I'm really grateful for that. Oh, that's amazing. So it's 2023. We are on our last question. What are the things that you're optimistic about? Well, I'm an eternal optimist, which I think is a good thing. I think it's so necessary. In fact, I feel incredibly inspired by the people that I work with and the people and young people in my family about just how deeply people care about creating a better inclusive society. I mean, I think I love that at this point in my career. I mentioned, I hope that I'm not even halfway through my career yet, but there's also all of this hope in terms of all of the up and comers. I learn so much from. And yes, I mean, I get the benefit of getting to be a mentor in certain ways, but I also get as much as I give, I feel like, to the people that I work with. And just am so inspired by the commitment that people have as young people in the world. So I think that that is an incredible reason to feel optimistic. Yeah. So I said that was the last question, but this is something that I've asked a couple of people and I thought it might be a good idea to ask you. If you had one superpower, Leela, what would it be? Tough one. I wish that I could have everyone be able to experience some kind of intense or immense joy. I think that that's been one of my own superpowers is just I did not have always the easiest childhood. My mom was very ill with cancer. My parents had a very difficult divorce. My dad lost his job at a certain point. Like I had a very wonderful childhood in some ways and a very difficult childhood in other ways. And somehow I feel like in the depths of despair, I found the inner light and the inner joy. And so I do feel like I've discovered that and held on to it. And so I wish that in a continued way for myself because life is not always easy and we have to be able to cling to that. And I wish that for others too, because I think that these have been dark times for a lot of people. And if there's a gift that I hope that I can help others find, I think sometimes people may look at me and just feel like, oh, she's just a sunshiny, happy person. <laughs> and I think back to those years where it was not like I was just naturally that way. I kind of had to like search really, really hard to find that. And then we have to keep searching for it to remind ourselves of that. So my hope, I guess, would be to cling to that for myself and to help others find that as well. What a beautiful way to end today's episode thank you so much Leela it's been such a wonderful enlightening conversation I hope you've enjoyed it I'm sure the listeners will enjoy it and learn from it thank you Siba it's great to be with you thank you for joining us this week on the elephant in the room podcast 
Don't forget to subscribe to the show on any of your favorite platforms, iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts. And if you enjoyed listening to the podcast today, don't forget to write a review and tell your friends. Sign up on the link in the show notes to receive updates on our guest speakers, blogs, and events. And don't forget to tune in every Thursday for new episodes.